Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Creative Writing for the May edition. I said April a second ago, but that ain't right, is it, Tobor? Tobor, how are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I think we messed that up. You're supposed to ask me how I'm doing. Good evening, Junkie. How are you this evening? I am doing fine. <laughs> how are you doing, Tobor? Flavilois. <laughs> nice. All right, well, let's get into this week's show, and we'll talk about some of the great things coming up. We got May is uh, International Female Ride Day happened last Friday. It is Motorcycle Awareness Month, Mental Awareness Month, uh, Testicular Cancer Awareness <laughs> Month, uh, and Elder Abuse Month. So let's get out there and do some of these things. Give uh, abuse some of those elders with testicular cancer. All right. Let's get into this week's show. Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, the podcast that's like that missing 10 millimeter, but you kind of wish you never found it. Somehow you did, and like our supporters on Patreon, you too can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. While you're at it, head over to our Zazzle store and check out our merch there by searching Creative Writing Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere else except for TikTok and Ding Dong, because we ain't going to go there, but on Twitter we are. And then Tumblr, thanks, bye. Hey there, this is patron Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions. I'm currently coming at you from Tokyo, and you're listening to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, probably because you ran out of all the other podcasts to listen to, and you really dig Motorcycle Haiku. Later. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. And I think he is. He's in Japan. I don't know if he's in Tokyo, but I know he's in Japan. Um, hey everybody, welcome to another fabulous episode of Creative Writing. I'm going to say fabulous, but you be the judge of that. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review in the iTunes, even if you don't get us on iTunes, because that's where apparently the internet goes for answers to crazy things. Or you can do what, what everybody else on the Moto One Podcast Network is go- going to. Go look up Motorcycle Podcast and Google and uh, look up Creative Writing. Write something crazy about it there. Heck, it's working for the Nokomoto boys, and uh, the Moto Twins group has told me about it too. So, um, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another... Well, this is going to be the May episode. Um, hopefully, we get a couple out this this episode, or this uh, month. Um, guess what? It is Motorcycle Awareness Month, and there's some great things that have been happening, I believe. Um I already can't remember the last show, but I believe that we brought up the fact that Montana was uh, passing or introducing a lane splitting legislation that's going to go and it actually passed, I believe, and it's going to be put into effect October 1st, uh, 2021 or 2022. I forget. But yeah, Montana actually um, legalized lane splitting. And now I've heard last year. Well, uh, actually, I heard in 2019 that Oregon was talking about it. Uh, of course, last year, we're just going to write off because really nothing, um, you know, for all the for all the downtime and the time in the world that politicians had, it was a pretty crazy year politically last year. So it seemed like last year there wasn't much going on because uh, everybody's on lockdown and doing things, um, you know, in, in, in a way that had every, everything cleared up for stuff like social or not social, but political uh, bills that had, you know, you're so busy all these other times. It seemed like last year would have been a great year for things um, that have been laying around and sitting around to get taken care of. But 
I think we all know, at least here in the States, things got a little crazy politically last year. And so that didn't actually happen, even though it's like counterintuitive. You'd think it would have. But so finally, um, I don't know if it's because uh, things gain traction in a state like Montana that doesn't have a large population, but they're they're considering lane splitting for safety issues that Oregon's finally like, hey, you know what? We might as well consider that. And I know Nevada was considering it uh, a couple years ago because when California finally codified it, um, they had, uh, you know, all these other states started bringing it up. So, like I said, counterintuitive that last year would have been a great year for things that have been waiting, just waiting for a pandemic and some downtime for people to get to. Yeah, it sort of turned out to be a little crazy, I'm guessing, because, uh, you know, my guess is that it's uh, that it, the, the whole country was involved in uh, political things, especially Oregon, actually, now that I, what am I talking about? Oregon was like engulfed in, uh, <laughs> like riots and, and stuff like that. So they had a lot going on. Um, so yeah, I am glad that this is coming out now and, uh, motorcycle awareness month is a great, uh, time to pass a bill like this. It's also a great time for international female ride day, because not only are we aware of motorcycles, um, we're aware of the you know, diversity that of the people that are riding them. Hopefully more and more people are riding them. Um, you know, and hopefully we're becoming a more diverse family. I've noticed that in the American Mag- American Motorcyclist magazine, there's a lot more women in there. They actually had their, I think the May episode or, uh, the May issue is all about uh, women coming up, you know, women uh, starting uh, clubs, women women getting into the trades, women taking over uh, mechanics and engineering. Heck, we even have a patron of the show who does that very same thing, and we've talked to her about it before with the... Uh, the build motor program and the iron angels and all. And, and she's a, uh, fabulous, you know, part of the community. So yeah, that was really, really cool. All these things happening and kind of, you know, May's the month. May is also the month that the motorcycle podcasters challenge has returned. And if you're a brand new listener to the show, you probably found us by accident and you're looking for that uh, good motorcycle show. We'll stick around for a second. We'll talk We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge and how much fun it is. We have a brand new rider this year and a bunch of returning riders and they can tell you, I hope that uh, at the end of the challenge, they'll be able to, to tell you uh, how much fun it is. So stick around and hear a little bit about that. And then also we're going to talk about a little bit of racing and a little bit of you know, industry, what's happening in the industry right now. It's not a whole lot. I'll tell you what I've been listening to lately uh, while I've been staring at motorcycle stuff. I've been listening to a whole lot of motorcycle stuff lately. But yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that and everything here and in between. So first off, um, Tobor, how you, you, you know, you're doing really good this evening. Um, we just finished up a week of, uh, riding for the motorcycle podcasters challenge. So let's start the show off with that first. Um, so yeah, the motorcycle podcasters challenge, uh, you helped me out a little bit with that this year. That was fun to calculate the MPC city point values. Yeah. So that you helped me do that. You also helped me um, find, well, you helped me calculate while I was out on the road, I was able to, to, I said fax my coordinates to you. I didn't fax them to you. I sent them to you through our secret GPS um, uh, technology. And what you did is you saw where I was, you recalculated a couple street names that were nearby 
and help me get some points. So you really did help out, and, and I'm looking forward to next week. I can't wait until next week. Yes, me neither. So thank you for that. And uh, let's tell everybody a little bit about what the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge is. So way back in the day, <clears throat> there was only a handful of motorcycle podcasts out there. Was not this gigantic, you know, now they're like Instagram profiles where everybody's got a podcast, right? Back then there was a, a, a good maybe 10 podcasts that put out stuff regularly. And the one of the podcasts was Loud Pipes Show, and they uh, are no longer around now, but they started this challenge between uh, a couple other motorcycle podcasts. They were on the East Coast, and I think they had a lot of friends on the East Coast. Um, somehow the, the, the podcast commingled and came up with a mileage challenge, and I think that's how the very first motorcycle podcasters challenge started was it just was like amongst the groups to see who could ride the most in one year get out and ride that's the point of the basically the point of the challenge i'm going to tell you a little bit about it now but that's how it started and uh now uh, it's grown it's it's in its fifth year it's six years old but last year there was no no challenge so over the last five years, it's grown by leaps and bounds, okay? So going from just like a few friends the first year doing a mileage challenge to see who could ride the most, and it was kind of funny to listen to them because then the year two and three, people are doing iron butts and stuff on the show. So uh, the it morphed from that. It morphed from a friendly challenge between podcasts to what it is today, and how it got there was year two is when I joined, I think. You needed a team of three, um, well, I guess you didn't need a team of three, but everybody had teams of three. All these other podcasts had three or more people on them, and they were having a, uh, you know, just a, a grand old time designating. They'd pick six letters out of a little uh, bingo bobbler, bingo bubbler, and uh, they'd draw six six letters, and you would uh, go find street names with those on there. Uh, this is obviously year two, so year one just mileage. Year two, they started this like, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, do this thing where we add like another dimension to it. And so they started doing this thing. They draw six letters. Of course, if you've got a team of six or a team of three. Everybody only has to get two letters and then you're trying to go out and get the most mileage. You add them together. You add the, um, the points to, for, for each street name together or city name, actually, I guess it was, whatever it was, these letters, um, you would try to find cities beginning with these letters and the city names were scored based on Scrabble tiles. And if you don't have Scrabble in your country, it is a word game here where uh, each letter is given a point value based on like its rarity and its rarity of use. Like Z's and Q's are really high scoring and like all the vowels are very low scoring. Um, so yeah, at any rate, everybody had three people on their team. And I think that the reason that it's morphed into what it is today is because when I joined, I was by myself. So they let me recruit two listeners to be on my team so that I'd have the, the minimum of three. And there was a couple podcasts that had like four people on there, five people, but you could only have three on your team at the time uh, for the second and I believe third years. So it was like, okay, cool. They let me have two listeners. Chris, uh, No Nitrous Chris Singsheim, who's a drag racer up in Wisconsin. You may have seen his uh, uh, YouTube videos. We've linked to them before and you may have heard him on the show if you go back far enough. 
Um, he's been a pretty solid staple on our team since the beginning. And so has Paul Breiviffer, who uh, I've had his VFR. You hear me talk about his VFR all the time. I've had it since 2017 um, when he brought it for me to borrow since I had been doing, since 2015, I'd been doing the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenges on my little 250. And so riding that thing all over Southern California was a treat. Getting this VFR, holy cow, I could ride to Nevada and back in a day and it was nice. So needless to say, those two have, whoops, those two have been a staple of team creative writing since the inception of letting me have two people that weren't on the show uh, be on the show with me. And I think now that's what the, the challenge has morphed into this year. Like at first you could have some listeners on your team then you could have this year the listeners of the podcast can start their own team so it's really morphed over the last few years to be really more inclusive the main goal is to get people out and give them a reason to ride i mean as motorcyclists you know we'll find anything hey there's a donut shop 50 miles from here let's go get donuts 50 miles away do we need to we're not rural (laughs) yeah we need to so you know how it goes as a motorcyclist especially when the weather has been as crazy as it has been when this happens and it's riding season boom you you got to get out and ride so it's a really nice excuse to get out and ride for a a challenge um there's strategy involved um you can still designate people to go get certain street names but this year uh with everybody riding they're just going to count everybody as individually as well so that that's another thing back in the day it kind of morphed from hey I i could send uh, my teammates to get two of the two of the streets. I would get two, and then somebody else would get two. The three of us could split up the six and just try to get the highest uh, score. This year, just everybody riding and go get the six streets. Um, because at the end of the challenge, they're going to add everybody up individually. And of course, your team score matters. But as an individual rider, you may be rewarded as well. So it's a really fun way to expose people, which was another goal of it was to uh, cross pollinate and. Expose expose people to the different shows um, and give them a reason to listen, see what the other shows are uh, up to. And maybe ter- maybe it turned a couple people on to these other shows. I had people come over to create a writing team from another team, you know, from Loud Pipes or Twisted or Twisted Throttle or whatever Throttled Podcast. Um, you know, I, I I'm pretty sure we had some people cross pollinate this year. Uh, Brian Honeycutt, who's uh, a California guy. Um, and has written for team creative writing in the past is writing for team. Uh, so you want to ride a motorcycle, I think this year. And so, yeah, you could, it gives the listeners the opportunity to switch it up and switch teams. So it's really cool. Uh, and, uh, it's really morphed into the really, a uh, really fun challenge. And last year with it gone, I was down in the dumps. I was so overwhelmed with the amount of work that I got. I mean, I I had the COVID curse where instead of being short on and unemployed on, on uh, the job scale, I was like overwhelmed and taking on extra extra stuff. So I really missed the challenge last year. I, I really wasn't feeling feeling it this year. I wasn't even sure. I think I mentioned in one of the shows uh, earlier that I was – uh, not even sure I was going to sign up for it. I am so glad that I did. And I'm so pumped that we have a new writer, uh, Rob, this year on our team. And hopefully he can come on and vouch for how 
fun it is uh, to go out and and compete with people and be with people, be on a team with people in a totally different state, having the totally uh, same experience, but in a different way. So, and I also have to give a shout out to Chad, who is one of our patron supporters and Nikki. Uh, she's up there. Uh, they're all three uh, along with Chris Singsheim up in Wisconsin and they only have three months to ride. So, I mean, they, they, they take this opportunity to help out whenever they can. It's such a fun challenge. And I'm so thankful that they're on our team. Bri Viffer, Beulah from Girl on a Moto. Girl, we, I'm so glad she just, she's down in, she, she was down in Mexico, I think on the El Diablo run with the Biltwell puts on every year. And uh, so she was trying to get some Mexican street names. And guess who got home yet today? Because <laughs> somebody was posted a crap ton of street names when they got uh, when they got back to SoCal. So I think she got back home today, and uh, so she was posting posting up homework last minute. And uh, MotoGP from the Noka Moto podcast, he was supposed to create uh, the team creative writing. During our Prank Wars episode, he stole the the podcast name from us, sold it to uh, Podcast One from Moto One uh, to the Adam Corolla's. Uh, apparently, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I, all I know is that they have the name, and they were supposed to be Team Creative Writing. That's why we're Team Shoot for Last this year. But things went sideways. So at last minute, the admins were freaking out because I don't think MotoGP read the rules, which is kind of makes it fun <laughs> and makes it a fun part of having a part of the challenge. But but that fool is in the hospital with the uh, with COVID. I or he was the other day. Uh, he's out. He's probably out now. I hope he's okay. I hope you're hearing this, Pete, and everything's good. For obvious reasons, we're not counting on you to ride this week uh, at all. So hopefully you can join in next week. And if you do want to participate in the listener challenge uh, as an individual, which I know you do, um, go ahead and get those six streets from this week and six streets next week and they'll just deduct they'll give you like a makeup score kind of like your teacher did where they give you half credit for for this week's letters so still do it man you'll still get half credit and half credit's better than no credit but shoot riding riding around trying to find 12 street names is crazy um so yeah i i think i mentioned that they pulled these letters every every week out of a little like a bingo bubbler or or just you know you get the idea they they draw six letters whether it's electronically or out of a little machine with with ping pong balls and we have to go around and find street names city names whatever they decide that year and i remember when it was cities uh you know they'd pull a j or they'd pull like a v or a z some of you people on the East Coast have it made. Uh, there are some pretty crazy town names back in colonial, you know, the colonial days. Spain, Spain owned the West Coast up until like the gold rush, basically, <laughs> like Civil War and all that stuff. Uh, nope, I think it was, you know, uh, California had literally just become a state right before that. So uh, while the East Coast had been in like the uh, the Revolutionary War and most of the Civil War stuff happened back there, you know, on the eastern half of the country, the, the West was still the wild, wild West. So we still have a lot of uh, 
towns out here that are pretty blank sounding and or, or Spanish uh, oriented. So we don't have these crazy names like King and Queens Courthouse Manor Township or whatever. They have all these crazy townships and boroughs and villages on the East Coast. So when we were doing cities, that was an interesting, really interesting year. Uh, just getting out, get having a reason to ride to some city you would never would have touched with a 10 foot pole. Um, I really miss that. So yeah, I, I love that aspect of the challenge. Um, this year, let me let me uh, real quick ramble off because we're heading into 20 minutes here. Let me ramble off uh, our team uh, standing so far, and I'd love to do something for Team Creative Writing uh, at the end of all this. It's a three-week-long challenge. We're going to be uh, putting our heart and souls into it, and I'd love to do something for the team uh, and recognize everybody individually. So this week, Paul... Uh, Bri Viffer, man, uh, really high scoring stuff. Um, listener Rob also had some pretty high scoring stuff, but he unfortunately came a little bit behind Paul. Uh, Paul's P letter, by the way, was Promenade Chardonnay. Now, Paul lives now nah, well, not in in wine country, but sort of next to wine country. And when, I, when you say wine country in California, you're usually specifically talking about the Napa Valley uh, up north of San Francisco in, in Napa County or whatever, Napa, Napaville. But Paul happens to live in the Southern California wine community's uh, back door or front door, I guess. And so maybe he lives on the side door that connects to the garage. But he was able to pull off Promenade Chardonnay, which I'm sure he found in wine country. Um, Winchester Creek, there's a lot of cowboy stuff out him by him too. So Albert Hill Ranch, Winchester Creek, La Cresta Highlands, like a lot of good, a uh, lot of good names. Navajo Springs, he really, he really pulled it through with uh, his his uh, words this week. His, his letter total for all of the street names that he found uh, added up to 426 points. Um, Rob came in second place at 375. I'm not going to count myself. Uh, Chad came in uh, third place with 359. Nikki came in with 337. Beulah came in with 269. That's what you get for not catching some crazy names while you were down in... Uh, uh, San Felipe or wherever the hell you were. I think that's where the El Diablo run goes to. I'm sure you caught some crazy names, but I'm sure it wasn't street names. I'm sure it was rando dudes down there on the beach uh, of Ensenada or San Felipe, wherever the heck you were. So um, 269 for Beulah. And then Chris and MotoGP. Uh, Chris, I don't think uh, DNF'd. And MotoGP DNS'd. He did not really even start. So uh, they'll they'll have a chance to get in, get in on it next week and uh, submit some stuff. So I'm really excited about that. I'm going to personally keep track of creative writing's uh, efforts and so I can hopefully reward everybody at the end of this challenge in three weeks. But yeah, it's been great. And Tobor, thank you so much for helping out. Tobor's got the algorithm setting up here that uh, I could type in everything into on the fly when I'm out in the field and it beams it back to him and he... uh, kind of computes it for me and sends it back. So then I can put it in my spreadsheet when I get home. So it's really cool. And um, thank you everybody for all your effort. And thanks admin. So there's that. Uh, let's uh, let's see, we're at 22 minutes here. Let's take a quick break and uh, just a few minute break. We'll come back and we'll talk about armor racing and we'll talk about uh, some really fun stuff that happened uh, weekend before last, the weekend right before the Motorcycle Podcaster Challenge kicked off. All right, we'll be right back with some more creative writing. 
When the weather's getting a little bit dilly and you're feeling like that penguin chili billy, uh, head on over to Clobman's and grab some Pickletine. It'll help you cross the finish brine in first place every time. Clobman's new Pickletine was a taste sensation that took hold this past holiday season, and now every motorcycle racer from Pawtucket to Pawnee to Paso Robles is counting on Pickletine to get them through this racing season. Pickletine, if, if you know it's good for you. Zappers, Zappers. we got them. Whappers. Whappers, we got them. We got everything you need for your off-road adventure this summer at Nathan's Power Sports Village in Durston. Brakes, Brakes. we got those. Tires, we got those. For over 125 and a half years, no pickle has been more trusted by motorcycle champions everywhere than Clobman Pickles. You want to win your race? Put a Clobman Pickle in your face. Clobman's guaranteed. Clobman's in your mouth and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clobman's the only pickle for motorcyclists. That's right, the only pickle I trust. Up my butt or on the bus. Clobman's pickles. Wow, Clobman's so multi-purpose. Um, hey, everybody, let, listen up here. I got notes that are all over the place, and I'm trying to figure them out. I wrote these down over the past few days, and uh, I don't even know if they have anything to do with the show. Hopefully, you can figure them out if I start rambling them off. Um, I did want to say, yeah, I have this whole huge notepad with, like, nothing relevant on it. Tobor, where did these... Did I write these? Was I, was I in another cocaine stupor winner? Don't answer that, by the way. The fifth. All right, we'll get rid of those then. Uh, I'll look at this little tiny notepad that I have full of really weird tiny notes that I wrote when I... I must have only been like an inch tall when I wrote these. So, uh, anyways, I have been... Uh, we're going to talk about racing in a little bit, and so hip, hip, hooray for that. Yay for you if you stick around long enough to hear some of the interviews we got at the track. Uh, one thing I did want to say is this week... Specifically, I have been listening to a lot of things, reading a lot of things, looking at a lot of things. I'm sure you have too if you have eyes, ears, and a sensibility uh, about you. So here's something I, I love. I've been watching a lot of racing racing wrap-ups this week. Um, really cool. And, 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 and I love that on YouTube, a lot of the, you know, like I keep getting, I keep getting emails from NASCAR. And I don't know why. I don't know what the hell I did to deserve that. Uh, I never really liked NASCAR. I won't get into it because it's a totally different show topic and I don't want to rabbit hole it right now. But I realized that it's because NASCAR is like owns AFT maybe or maybe they NASCAR owns the NBC deal that AFT has. Because I know I know uh, AMA still runs flat track. AMA still sanctions flat track um, and motocross. And that's about it, the, you know. They don't do the road racing, and so I don't see Moto America stuff ever on these NASCAR emails. But I see a lot of AFT, and I'm guessing it's because um, what? God, what was that? Oh, it's gonna kill me now. 
two years ago, three years ago, before uh, Michael Lott got this deal with NBC um, or CSNBC Sports 2, whatever the hell it is that he got a deal with uh, to get Flat Track on primetime, it was, oh, Fans Choice. That's what it was, Fans Choice TV. Gosh, for years I watched Flat Track on Fans Choice, and I'd also watched some, you know, weird Mexican NASCAR road racing on there. And then I'd also watch whatever else they would have. They just have some really cool stuff on there. But AFT, you could catch it for free on fanschoice.tv for the longest time. And then a couple years ago when AFT started to pick up, we were reporting on it a lot on the show because Wiggins and I, my old co-host, would watch it every week for free. And then Fans Choice became a paid thing uh, like a year and a half ago. And then Fans Choice went away, I think, and it's NBC uh, Sports 2, and I, and I forget what the track... I think it's called, like, Track Gold or Track Pass now, and I, I pretty much think Fans Choice got swallowed up by a network, um, like CSNBC or NBC Sports 2 or whatever the hell. Long story short, I kind of quit watching when that happened because you can't stream. You used to be able to go back and stream stuff to as far as they had. I remember, I remember going back and streaming uh, championships like two years ago as far back as like 2012 or something like that on Fans Choice uh, server. So you can't do that no more because they don't exist, right? So where do you have to go for all that racing history? Well, I don't know. I don't know where who owns the uh, archived vaults of all that stuff. And I don't know even where you have to go to pay for AFT. But I know that NASCAR must own something because they're the ones that are sending me all the updates for all my AFT action, right? So luckily, YouTube has a robust, uh, you know, backlog NASCAR t- uh, channel on there shows excuse me pardon me nascar channel on there shows a lot of the aft highlights at least so you can get that uh you know peep that now daytona bike week i missed this year daytona bike week last year was when all hell broke loose and you'll remember that i believe they did motocross early in the week they usually do motocross like midweek and they did tona 200 like the friday before bike week actually starts and then flat track is going on full uh effect that that either thursday they do the short track and then that weekend they do like the mile or whatever they're gonna do there um and last year if you remember all that started to happen and bike week was unfortunately when our whole country kind of tripped a little bit and went down as far as events go and so uh, this year, when Bike Week came around, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. But I do know that the uh, uh, the, the races there were uh, pretty phenomenal. And what a way to wake up the, the season, you know, wake up the world back again to racing. Unfortunately, I didn't watch it. I think Shayna Texter Bauman uh, pulled off a couple of wins. And she had a really crummy season last year, you know. And a lot of people have been giving her a graph over the last few years because her bike wasn't working that well. But the year before last, it was, and then last year happened, and I didn't even watch flat track racing, but I read her interview, and she was down in the dumps about racing, period. So it was really cool that I guess she won her first two races at the Volusia Speedway. Um, I think, I I forget, she's raced twins before, but I forget if if she raced a twin in any of the classes. Uh, but, But she's been practicing the TT. I didn't see her on the TT. 
never I never see her at a TT actually. Uh, she doesn't. Her and her brother both don't uh, usually qualify for those. Um, so she wasn't on the TT. But uh, I was watching the the one from Atlanta, the Yamaha Mission Tortilla. Now listen, here's something else that happened since last year. And Wiggins wasn't around, and I wasn't watching much flat track, much flat track. So I've said it a couple times, but uh, to make it official, Harley Davidson pulled out of flat track racing. Uh, yes, the Harley Davidson that's been bragging that their heritage was a flat track racing ever since they, uh, you know, go watch Harley and the Davidsons, you know, the board tracks and the flat tracks. Oh, everyone tried to kick us out, but then we reigned for like 90 years. Well, now that you're 115 years old and you're pulling out, so like that's your heritage and legacy, right? I can't believe it. So they pulled out, pulled out of drag racing sank all their monies right now into bag racing we're going to talk about that in a minute but so flat track is now not the indian progressive blah 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 or the harley davidson blah 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 it is the yamaha mission tortilla i couldn't think of two things that go together worse but they kind of sound great coming off and when you see them written down yamaha mission tortilla it's just a lot of multiple letters it's really great um so yeah, that's that was the sponsor of the uh, Atlanta Super TT that took place, and if you go onto the YouTube's, you can catch just the highlights. You don't have to watch any of the baloney, any of the crazy stunt shows, any of the downtime and red flags. Just go in there and enjoy yourself. Uh, what, but and also watch it and enjoy the racing. Take that as you will. Um, so anyway, the Atlanta Super TT, here's how things went down. And if you're going to get all butthurt because I'm telling you something that you're anticipating watching, skip forward probably about yeah, seven minutes, I'm going to say. All right, while they're skipping forward, let's tell some funny jokes <laughs> or do something great. Here, every listener gets 3,000. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just, just tell you about this. Because um, when they come back on in seven minutes and I'm still making dumb jokes and I haven't got to this yet, they're going to be pretty mad. So let's just blow through this. Um, so the Atlanta TT, I don't know what they're calling the four, four lappers anymore. They used to call them the Dash for Cash. I don't think they're calling that anymore, especially now that the, the tortilla sponsor. Uh, I don't know what they're dashing for anymore. But maybe it was the whole shot for some sweet guac. I don't know. But um, JD Beach took that Super TT four, da- uh, four lap dash. It was him and uh, I saw ha- uh, Sammy Halbert in there. Who else was in there? I can't remember who the other two guys were in there, but it was only like four or five guys for a four-lap dash. And uh, I, I know Beach and Halbert was in there. Uh, probably Bauman, uh, Breyer, not Bronson. Um, so anyway, yeah, it was kind of cool to watch them fling it around there. I had read that Travis Pastrana was coming back for the Atlanta round, so I don't know if that means he was in Daytona as well. But he came back uh, for the Super TT. Um who else was in there? Tyler O'Hara, who had just raced baggers uh, earlier, you know, being being uh, uh, Road Atlanta, you know, was the was the uh, a, a, uh, Moto America round. God, I can't can't speak right now. Um, the AFT round was at the uh, you know the Georgia Motor Flatway of rock and dirt. So Tyler O'Hara had just raced, I believe, Super Sport and had or uh, Super Super Stock, something like that jumped on a bagger racing that and then jumped on a flat track bike and raced that so what an amazing athlete we got in this guy um and and it was fun watching him uh sling it around there on the dirt too um jd beach took the uh, super twins 
with uh, Halbert Vanderkoy, Briar Bauman. Great battle for second. It was pretty amazing to watch, and it reminded me of uh, some of the miles that, you know, when we were watching Jeffrey Carver bang it out with Meese. And then this is when Briar Bauman was up and coming. You know, Briar Bauman, it was like Smith, Meese, and... Um, I don't know. I remember Carver being in the, in the loop a lot. I don't really remember who else was. It was Smith, Meese, and Bauman, I guess, has always been the last three ever since uh, Brad Baker um, got hurt a few years ago. Uh, you know, they were the top contenders. I guess Henry Wiles was in there a couple times too. And so this year it's all like switched up. And the way that the teams had to run and this and that, Henry Wiles was racing uh, singles again this year. I think he was racing singles last year. So he's racing singles again this year. Um, Corey Texter moved from singles to production twins, which is more of like a actual production-based motor than the specialized race machines. So that's, you know, it's really kind of shaken up and moved up. We should probably get back into flat track one of these days and talk about how things have, uh, have evolved, especially over COVID when, you know, it was lights out from, from our perspective. Um, get back into these these classes and who's up and coming and, and where people have moved around to. So it's pretty interesting. But the Super Twins is basically the old Twins class uh, and dominated by J.D. Beach, who I do not think is road racing this year. Uh, I think he's pulling full uh, AFT. Uh, probably last year, too. If I remember correctly, at the end of 2019, he said he was going to not do what he did in 19, which is focus on both, and just focus on one. And everyone thought it was going to be the road racing, but I think he swapped it over to the AFT. Who knew 2020 was going to happen? And I just hope that... Uh, I didn't really read about the struggles that these guys and girls had out there uh, last year, but I'm sure that it was the same as everyone else, trying to get racing protocols underway, having a weird... Uh, season, you know, and, and a weird championship on top of like probably not as much bike time as you're used to. So I don't know. I, you know, I have zero idea of how last year went. So I don't even know what I was expecting to see this year, but it was kind of rad. I got to be honest. So super rad. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, if everybody's training together or what it is, but it was a really fun race to watch. Um, and like I said, that battle for second was just awesome. And then there was a lot of uh, battles in the back. Like I said, Tyler O'Hara, I forget who he was, uh, Ben Lau or something like that he was battling with. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a fun, fun race to watch, needless to say. And it's been a while since I've seen some flat track. And even just the highlights, you know, was, was uh, totally worth it. Um, production Twins, uh, Dallas Daniels taking his uh, first race ever on a twin and he won it. So he's an up-and-coming guy. Uh, I've heard his name before a few years ago. Didn't, like I said, didn't pay attention to anything last year. Um, and heard him a lot again mentioned this year. So I know he's a guy that we need to keep our eyes on. He's already in the Prod Twins this year. Um, and he's racing singles. So, uh, you know, he's just one of those, he's going to be one of those guys that uh, just like, Henry Wiles used to do that too. So, uh, you know, Brad Brad uh, Brad Baker was pretty good on the singles back when they were when the singles and twins class wasn't separated. When you when you race singles on short tracks and twins on on the bigger tracks, um, Brad Baker and Jared Meese was pretty good on um, on the singles. So Dallas Daniels racing racing prod twins and singles. Uh, he also won the singles class. So Dallas Daniels uh, taking the almost a hat trick uh, this weekend. He beat Fernand Cardus, which I don't know if you remember who that is, but a couple years ago, 
he was the Spanish guy that was uh, racing, came over to race. Uh, he battled in the Super Prestigios all the time. It was really fun to watch him do that. Um, and I know he's like a Spanish champ, sort of like a Mark Marquez, you know, like he's a hero there. So he's coming over to, to the States to see how he does here. And uh, I think he came in, um, I forget what place he came in, but Dallas Daniels beat out Pastrana. He beat out Henry Wiles. He beat out Fernand Cardus. He beat out Max Whale. He beat out just, uh, I think, uh, I saw Dalton Gaultier's name thrown around, but I think he was in Production Twins. Um, I forget who the singles uh, singles writers were that he beat out, but he beat out a lot of people, a lot of good people. Um, and so da- Dallas Daniels is going to be one of those guys, an up-and-comer to watch, kind of like what's his face was Davis Fisher. You know, Davis Fisher came out of nowhere and uh, was doing really good until the Harley program came up and I think swallowed him up. So I don't know where how, how he's doing now. But Dallas Daniels reminds me of Davis Fisher where you hear his name, uh, coming up all the time, all the time, and then boom, next thing you know, he's won a championship or something. So, um, so anyways, AMA also has done a lot of AFT coverage lately, and I don't know if it's because racing has resumed, and last year they were focusing on what they could. Uh, and the year before that, I just do not remember the AMA being very um, AFT-focused. So it was kind of exciting that they've got that going on. They talked exclusively to Shayna Texter, I believe in the May episode uh, issue. They have three different, I think it's, uh, I think Dallas Daniels is one of the guys, Briar Bauman, and uh, I forget the third guy who is on the cover of like the the March or, or April uh, issue of AMA Magazine, but it's all flat trackers. So it's kind of cool that they are focusing on flat track. Maybe it'll inspire me to get a little bit more back into uh, flat track this year and, and try to find out what I can and, and, and pay attention to more racing. It's been it's been hard to, for me to follow. Just zero spare time, I feel like. Um, but thanks to these YouTube highlights, I also got to catch the f- last few Grand Prix. Um, and that was pretty fun to watch. It's nice to see Marquez coming back and, and starting to finish top tens. You know, he said that he was thankful to even be coming back at all. So it's really it's really nice that he's finishing top tens, you know, and he's not coming back on the podium. I'm, I'm glad because that means that he's taking his crash and injury serious enough to not push it for his checkers or wreckers you know how he how his usual mode of operation and that he will be hopefully recovering this year taking the whole year hopefully we'll be seeing him getting some w's or at least on the podium by the end of the year but yeah it'd be a shame to have him uh you know keep twacking his arm to where it dies i forget who, who the heck had uh was it kevin schwantz and maybe even nikki hayden and um God, what was Hayden's, uh, um, Danny, was it Danny Pedrosa? Yeah, I think Danny Pedrosa had, like, arm pump surgery, like, every year. So when, when some of these athletes get injured, you start to see, like, a chronic, uh, bone death and, you know, things, they, you can really jack your body up when you repeatedly do it or do it in a certain way and you're trying to get out there on the bike and push it and your body needs to heal. So Marquez did the right thing, I think, and took nine months off, like the a big chunk of a year worth off. Um, and I know he reheard it a couple times, but I'm just hoping that he comes back and that we see him this year keep improving. And I'm not I'm not out to see him win right away. Uh, 
just as long as he keeps getting top tens, like I said, maybe a podium here or there. And it's really given people like Fabio Quartararo a chance, Pekka Benyaya a chance. These are names of guys that are doing really well. During 2020, the, uh, the really fun um, virtual GPs, they were really fun to watch Quartararo and Benyaya um, and even Mark Marquez raced those. That was really fun. But you're like, wow, these guys are really good. And you start to see them ride and you're like, yeah, they are really good. Um, you see them in person and they're they're going to be one of those guys like Stoner. Like Miller and Bagnaya uh, are pretty much reminding me of Casey Stoner where they're, you know, Ducati's, I don't really think, won MotoGP a lot because it takes a certain way to ride it and a certain rider to get those bikes around the track and uh, I think these two can do it and so I'm super excited uh, for them to, to be doing as well as they have been kind of getting me back uh, hyped up for MotoGP you know I really was more of a uh, grassroots guy so it's not you know I always loved that's why I love flat track more because you can actually go you know hang out with those guys in the pits you know if you're if you're <laughs> at Lake Elsinore wherever they happen to come through you can actually walk through the pits with some pros and it's not a big deal but you probably won't get that at MotoGP so uh, as much as I love the grassroots stuff I'm starting to get back into uh, GP racing I really haven't been into GP in a few years but it is exciting the story that it tells and these new emerging riders it's just so fun to watch them develop um, and come from kind of out of nowhere now that uh, Marquez isn't on the top all the time um, last thing I want to say is a Moto America. Our American Superbike Series is in our American Racing Series, I should say. <clears throat> I am so impressed by the grid. You look at the grid, we have people from uh, this country called America, which is where we are now. We got several um, South Africans. Uh, a Mexican guy was on the podium, I believe, this last race. Uh, second place, I think it was. Um, where else are people coming? There's a couple Spaniards coming over. Uh, so, I mean, we have people from all over the globe coming here to race. And if I'm not mistaken, we've even had people from like Southeast Asia and I'm not talking Japan. I think we do have a couple riders from Japan and motocross over here, but I, I think it was like somebody from either India or Myanmar or somewhere like that. And maybe some Turkish uh, racers too. So we're for MotoGP. When I look at the MotoGP, I'm like, hey, it's France, Italy, and Spain for the most part. You know, like uh, I think I know where the majority of the riders are coming from, and it's a uh, it's a couple of you know next door neighbors or at least the same neighborhood in Europe. When you look at the American uh, grid, it's so crazy to see all this diversity from other countries coming over to racers. So I think it's really great, and I think it's cool. And another name popping up here in American motorsports is uh, Sean Dillon Kelly. You know, last year, Rocco Landers was the name I heard quite a bit. Oh, well, 2019, 2020, I, I guess uh, it was a weird year, but we still heard a little bit about Rocco. Uh, even with the uh, stunted and uh, truncated uh, season. But this year, Sean Dylan Kelly seems to be the name that I'm hearing over and over and over. And I saw, I think he won the, uh, one of the rounds that I was watching. Maybe it was Road Atlanta. Um, but yeah, this, this guy's up and coming and it's going to be a really good racer. And so we've got a couple guys moving over also to World Superbike and 
and maybe Moto2, Cambobi, and a couple of the people that moved out of uh, Moto America. So that's really cool for, for the US too. But I'm really stoked on how crazy our grid is. We got a lot of world, play, world players and racers coming over here. Um, so hopefully that means that American racers will get way better and we'll be popping back into GP and maybe even the Isle of Man and all that fun stuff. Um, so yeah, let's talk about, let's get out of the, uh, get out of this. Um, and speaking of Isle of Man, it's canceled again for this year. So don't get your hopes up in Pikes Peak. Who knows if bikes will ever be back there. Um, so let's move on a little bit to some topics and a little tiny bit of history. So th- this week I have been listening nonstop to industry podcasts, basically not motorcycle industry. I've been listening to a lot of this podcast called, no, I can't think of it. I've been listening to it all week. Charged, Charged Plus or something like that. I guess I can just pull up my phone and look at it. But basically it's an electric vehicle podcast and it focuses on, um, Mining lithium, uh, you know, how, how, what research, like cobalt, mining cobalt. Uh, it talks about all the different ways countries are saving money and countries are losing money and uh, really talking about EVs in general. And I think it's amazing coming from a motorcycle standpoint where in the USA, um, at my work, my you know, immediate supervisors and everybody, they know who Harley Davidson is and they're really excited when I show them our Livewire project and what, what we have going on with the Livewire. Um, they don't know about Zero. They don't know about Energica. They don't really know that KTM has had the, uh, the E-Ride for a long time um, or that Honda has been having, that Honda's had Mugen, um, but they haven't really anything out for public consumption but even bmw has had the uh, electric scooters for a little bit for quite a few years actually i think the better part the better chunk of a decade um and so oh ooh, 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 what did i do oops i'm turning off to work there we go sorry tobor uh didn't push you over like that anyways so getting on to uh, the electric vehicle show I've been listening to. It's a pretty incredible show. It really has been opening my eyes to the fact that it's from Europe. It's from England. There's Most of the ones I've seen are from England, so there's only a couple from the U.S., which tells me, uh, and listening to this, the topics they're talking about, the U.K. has really been pushing for uh, electrification, and they have been ha- having a lot of pushback. Um I think that because Boris Johnson was pretty much like a President Trump, where he kind of like rolled back a lot of the environmental rules and regulations, but Europe isn't doing that. Europe is full on going forward. Whether you, whether we have Brexit in the U.S. and and Australia kind of doing a 90 degree turn on where we've been heading for a little while, whether or not we're going to turn back, I don't know. But the rest of the world is going to get there without us. Um, and it's so weird to listen to these shows where they're focusing a lot on uh, electricity and what other countries and other, even like third world countries, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what that means anymore these days, but what you would consider like a still developing country is doing versus these countries with a lot of in- infrastructure support and this and that. So a lot of people are building in 
uh, electric vehicles. And I know China, they're the one, one of these articles or episodes of the podcast was talking, the host was talking about, uh, China in 20, I'm going to say like 16 or 14 or something like that. When the UK had announced that they had done like three, 15 buses, I think converted to, it was either compressed natural gas or maybe they went to hybrid or electric. They were like, listen, that's 15 buses, 15 red double deckers. And to compare that to China, China had like, I don't know, like 16,000 buses confirmed to electric. And I do remember in 2016, China, I, I've said this multiple times on the show, China, when the U.S. jumped off the forefront of the um, the green wave, let's call it, China said, we're going to do this. Now, China is a communist country, and they can say, you must do this, you know, or, or else, you know, we're the government, we tell you what to do. So, of course, they were able to get like 16,000 buses off the road and replace them with electric buses because that, that's where a lot of uh, some of the, I shouldn't say a lot, but a lot of the um, technology that's being made, whether it's your, your iPhone or uh, some battery technologies, China is trying to compete with other parts of the globe for battery production and including the United States with Elon Musk's Gigafactory and, and, and other countries that have a lot of um, resources to make batteries. China's trying to compete with that. So they have uh, vast amounts of land that they're probably mining. Um, they have a cheap labor force and they are a communist country. So guess what? Boom. They were able to implement stuff a lot. Um, with a lot more authority than other countries where it's like here in the States, we have to convince people to buy a lot of uh, electric and this and that. So this podcast is really interesting and it's opening my eyes to the fact that, you know, Dieselgate happened. And as part of Dieselgate, uh, Volkswagen had to make what is Electrify America. And if you own a Livewire, you know who Electrify America is because when Harley was making the Livewire, they got a... Uh, Electrify America did all of the um, charger installations, I believe, in the Harley-Davidson dealerships. And Electrify America also has super fast, like super quick charging stations all across the U.S. that you get free. Uh, If you're a Harley-Davidson Livewire owner, I think you get two years of free charging at something like that. So massive. The person that worked at Electrify America was telling me it was a, it was a massive amount of electricity. When when they told me, I was like, hmm, doesn't sound that big to me, but I don't know how much that means in, in electric. I don't know how many bottles of electricity that would fill up. You know, like I, I, you could tell me like five gallons and I know, I know how big of a gas can that'll fill up. Uh, when you tell me like two gigawatts, is that going to... Um, power a city i think it does so i was like that sounds like a, something on my sd card right so at any rate this uh you know i've been listening to a lot of the charged i think it's called charged plus i should just look it up and see i think it has two names and i just can't remember what they are let me see here come on man open up phone go to podcast uh talk about some really good um shows that you've been listening to lately would you oh you won't yeah, because I don't want to lose my place on this podcast. What is it called, man? It is called Fully Charged Plus Podcast. And I believe it is a show. It's a TV show or, or a YouTube show. 
out of the UK and it has like real production and travel budget and all that. So it's like a real show. So go check it out. The Fully Charged Show. And this is Fully Charged Plus, the podcast that kind of gets into stuff with people remotely that they don't do on the show. But yeah, it, it'll open your eyes and, and you'll be like, oh my God, like my, my, my friend at work, he's, uh, he's scheduled to test drive the, the test drive, the uh, Pan America. I thought he had done it last month, but he's like, no, it's that the date that I told you on this month. So I think he's going to be able to, um, give us a firsthand account of a Pan America. And we also have, um, you know, somebody that's going to be testing a Honda Metropolitan and the Super Cub. Uh, so I would love to talk about those in an upcoming episode, but I wonder if he's going to try the live wire, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and listening to this, uh, this charge plus, um, you know, makes me realize like the, the, this buddy, this particular buddy that's going to go ride the Pan America was saying, man, uh, only a few more years before they kill us with all this and that, this and that. And I'm going, you know what? Like, I've read and listened to a bunch of other electric podcasts. I've been trying to focus on it lately because I I do know that that's where the future is going. If you are a horse rancher right now, it is 1890 and you're going, these stupid automobiles are never going to catch on. And in 10 years, Henry Ford will basically put you out of business uh, within the next half a decade or half a century so you will be a leisure activity for rich people or cowboys going forward but as of like 1910 the horse was pretty much obsolete people had them as a cost issue at that point and uh, I think the same way is going to be going with electric versus ice I know people want to resist it I know people have to be uh sold on the idea right now and that there's still a lot of development and technology and work being done but trust me it's been going on for a long time and the the way that the other countries are talking about it like you know bmw and a lot of the uh diesel gate um i know audi was the audi slash vw was the diesel gate um you know target but trust me mercedes bmw uh, anybody that's making diesels in Europe, they pretty much know that they were all using the same stuff and they're probably all cheating. So they're all investing billions of dollars in the U.S. through companies like Electrify America, which pretty much was VW's uh, a spinoff of VW. And it's kind of like one of the retributions I think they had to pay for their Dieselgate scandal was to set up uh, clean infrastructure and make donations to programs that were clean since your dirty diesels uh, messed us up. So they're like, guess what? And then, hey, listen, yeah, perfect. We'll, we'll sink all this money in into an infrastructure that you don't have and that you're not developing, but it's for cars that we're selling in Europe and we want to sell there. So guess what? Yeah, I think it's coming. So if you're not a fan of electric, that's okay. That's fine. A lot of us aren't. I love the rumble of motors and this and that, but that's what I've been listening to recently is... Uh, a lot of podcasts about what's happening in every other country except here. And so guess what? Guess what's going to happen when we're the last one? <laughs> you know, eventually it's going to hit us the hardest if we don't start working to embrace it now. So um, I just it makes me wonder why, I, you know, a few years ago I started to see so many ch- uh, Chinese electric motorcycle brands popping up here, there, everywhere, left, right, up, down crazy at at motor shows in india at motor shows in excuse me in japan um 
excuse me. Uh, let me think. There was a couple other motor shows. Like I don't think Eichma, but maybe like stage B at Eichma there was. Uh, you know, because Eichma's too busy showing all their old ice bikes still but you know there there was a show where all these electric bikes were just like a couple years ago and i'm pretty sure it's because of the chinese market the the biggest you know G- gm general general motors a uh, huge one of the big three companies here in the united states their biggest market right now is china and china is like hey we're all electric now buddy you want to sell here guess what even if you're unless you're selling a construction vehicle like a mining one of those huge gigantic mine trucks or like maybe you're selling a uh an old railroad uh engine or something everything's electric homeboy so yeah you got to be electric so gm is developing has a lot of stuff that they are uh developing why make two different models you know why spend all that r&d cost and expense if you're going to make an electric model for china which has a bajillion people the next market that's going to go off is going to be here so we're seeing things backwards it used to be that the uber rich countries got stuff first and then it trickled into the countries that you think of like are communist and that are uh you know not underdeveloped but that are still developing and i assure you the chinese economy right now the middle class is one of the fastest growing middle classes in the world they're demanding uh vehicles left and right and more and more and more and the government says they have to be electric boom they have to be electric so gm uh everybody that's selling over there uh, it, it explains why i've seen so many electric motorcycles uh on my connect uh, through professional connections that i have on linkedin um so many people living in china and marketing and selling um electric bikes makes sense now and, and after hearing this podcast um, from Britain where they're like, yeah, China just said they had to do it because they're, they're, you know, that's the power of being a communist country is that you just, you say something has to be a way and boom, it is. It's that way. That's how they got all their buses to electrics and stuff like that. So when you have that, when that's your market that you're trying to sell to, guess what? You're going to make electric stuff. So we're probably, I'm guessing, going to start seeing electric stuff here in the U.S. Don't fret guess what just make it better right because if you're still that guy that likes to go out there and trust me no lady likes to do this but if you're that guy that likes to go out and still you know pour go out to the well the oil well that you had to dig in your hole and you in uh, the hole in your front yard and pull out you know a liter and a half of oil pour it into the top of your engine every morning and then crank it over and just watch that oil just spill out on the ground as you're driving down the street in your like 1907 truck where you have to crank the motor over physically that's cool and you are adjusting your timing and you're you know with your feet while you're driving and you have to hang your hand out the window to you know you know there's people that hate technology and that's all good and fine and they hate progress but guess what i love I, i'm pretty much in love with airbags in my car i would hate to think of smashing uh i was thinking about <laughs> My old Volkswagens before I got modern, man. I drove old cars with no ABS, no uh, disc brakes even, and no friggin' airbags. And I was like, man, what if I were to crash that thing? Uh, God, my <laughs> probably would have been deca- decapitated, right? So there's something to say about technology, and it's different. It's going to be different driving around in electric vehicles but you know what it doesn't have to be less fun you know if they're faster and they have torque on demand think of what that's going to mean um also yeah this uh i I, i'm just telling you what i'm what i've been hearing lately so i think this stuff really is coming down the line 
And like my buddy at work said, they're going to come come for us one day or like, you know, that's fine with me. Like, you know, I don't want to ride around on a horse forever when they invented the motorcycle, you know. I don't want to ride around on this old motorcycle when they invent a new funner one. Uh, so let's get into the next segment of the show. We're going to take another quick break here. And uh, now that we're an hour in, we're going to come back. And uh, I guess I'm going to wrap up the show. I'm not going to blab about this, but I'd like to leave you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And I'm going to leave you on this break with a quick history lesson from one of my favorite old podcasts. Already a history lesson for you. Uh, this podcast, I think, went defunct in 2016. But it, they were my buddies, and we've had them... Uh, back on the show to see what they're up to but I really miss them and it's the Stock Us for Squares podcast and here's a little bit of history for you and what I used to love about this this show and it's a really quick like meh five minute history lesson let's take a peek let's take a peek why don't you take a peek watch, watch these words it's really fun here we go I had something that I remembered yesterday that we didn't actually talk about what was that? it's how superchargers kind of came to be. Oh, really? Superchargers are cool. They are and cool. And how they came to be is also cool. Yeah. So, have a little history lesson by our good man Slade. Yes. Superchargers were developed for the early two-stroke diesel engines. Correct. They could not run without them because they do not create a vacuum. vacuum. Ain't no vacuum. So, they put those superchargers on there. Then, your hot rod guys decide, let's try to force more air into our V8. And make some power. Yeah. And so that's just how it goes. Yeah. They just slap it on. That's that's how it came from. It's just people making it theirs. There. Call make, it good. Because stock is for squares. So make it yours. Creative writing is brought to you by Millman's Chocolate Chips. Millman's for long-distance truckers and motorcyclists on a long road trip. Millman's features enriched cocaine and skink pheromones. Millman's, I killed a ninja. Millman's Chocolate Chips. Do you hear that? That is the sound of silence. Are you tired of having your ears filled with noise? Are you tired of that noise being the sound of your own exhaust? Your own screams of panic as you crash your Aprilia Fratura off a cliff? Are you tired of listening to your family and friends call your sweet, sweet baby a murder cycle? Well, try Saginati earplugs. They're guaranteed to keep you from hearing most ambient noise. That includes the low-frequency wind noise that other helmets seem to miss. Sirens, horns, Harley-Davidson's, pedestrians screaming, Hey, look out, you're gonna run over that baby! All these and more filtered straight out of the old sound pipes thanks to Saginati's patented design. Do you want to block out all oral input from your ride without the hassle of having to go electric? Try Saginati and you'll never hear again. Saginati earplugs. Our motto is Aures Saginati. Saginati. I don't know. That sounds Latin. Look it up. All right, everybody. We are going to wrap up the show soon. We're an hour in. We blabbed our heads off enough tonight and a bunch of it just nonsense. Um, I did want to say 
quickly talking about uh, history, talking about racing. We didn't really talk about bagger racing this week. I really wanted to. Uh, that's something else that if you watch the um, the YouTubes, you really got to check out the bagger racing. Um, it's really fun. So la- not this last weekend, but the the very last weekend of April, we were out at Willow Springs for the SoCal Classic Grand Prix, which is used to be called the Motocorse Glasgow back in the day. And Yoshi from Garage Company, what's his last name? Uh, I think it's Okashi. I forget his last name, but he uh, he started it. And and <laughs> actually, I remember going to the to this race when I was uh, younger. First, got into riding. Um, my friends and I would go out there and just watch it and camp and then ride on the track at night and be crazy. And it was fun. And it's always been fun. But never has it been more fun than when Brady Walker, the sweet talker, the messy blocker, uh, took it over a few years ago and has renamed it the SoCal Vintage Grand Prix uh, in, in you know commemoration of like the type of bikes and, and the, uh, the spirit of racing. Moto Corsa Classica sounds really Italian and Concorde Elegance and is definitely not that anymore. There's people out there slugging, uh, bashing into each other. And I would say that the racing, the people, the folks at Arma, let's put it this way, the people that I know that race are between like their 30s to their 50s, right? And there's not a whole bunch of really old people out there anymore. Uh, you know, not anybody. It's not like your 50s to your 70s, and it's a bunch of old guys that want to talk to you about the uh, CT 110. My buddy Pat was out there um, with his Moto Compo. You know, like, and uh, there's cool sidecar racing. And uh, there's a there's a club called the Cretans here in LA, and they all race, and they all did very well. Um, very cool racing. And so what I would like to say, I re-recorded this, so hopefully I'm not re-saying it again. Um, what I would like to say is that ARMAS is AHRMA. stands for American Historic Racing Motorcycle Association. And that's Racing Motorcycle Association. It's not ARRA, which is the American Historic Racers Association. So the racers are not historic, but the motorcycles are. And... Get out there. It's even cheaper probably to race with Arma than it is to race um, with the AMA in your local like sport bike uh, club or something like that. And definitely with the AMA and, cl- and club racing. Uh, just because the bikes are vintage. Um, I mean, that actually, I guess depending on what you're racing, maybe it's more pricey. But you're not racing on like a $50,000. You know, you got to go to... You know, you got to go to the dealership and buy a motorcycle and then sink another 20000 into it to make it competitive and then go to race school and buy your le- leathers and all that stuff. You still have to do all that. But guess what? Race school is relatively cheap, especially if Brady Walker's put it on down here in SoCal um, at the Classic Track Days. And there are some bikes that will never get out of the C class because, or, or class three, whatever the lowest, slowest class is, because they are tiny little classic bikes and they don't go faster than the, the C group. Uh, my friend, uh, she races one, she races at NS uh, 125, and I don't think she'll ever get out of the second or third group into the into a group or the number one group because she's not fast the bike is just isn't fast enough right and so that's what i love about classic track days and that's what i love about armor racing is that your bike 
doesn't have to be the fastest, but you can still be a pro. You can sure you can race your modern uh, sport bike, like my friend Pat is out there racing this Ducati Super Sport 900. He's also racing an RC51. He's also used to race a uh, I think a CB350 or a CL350 and a CB500, uh, old CB500 from the uh, from the 70s or 80s. Um, and Carrie, his his uh, his lady friend that's that's been my friend for a long time. She races her NS125. She also used to race like a CL350, whatever it was. Uh, you could raise multiple glasses, right? And that makes it even better because both all of these bikes that I'm telling you about, they have three or four bikes among them, and it probably costs less than a like to go out and buy the R1M from Yamaha and then race prep it and go get your license and sponsors and on tires and all this crap. It's it's fun and it's cheap. Your bike has to pack pass tech and be safety wired, but Arma can be a great place to start for young people if you just like cool older bikes and you don't necessarily need to go you know 200 miles an hour uh on on like a h2 you can be doing that on uh out of a out of a helicopter only 200 miles an hour probably on a 250 but still you can get out there on a 250 uh, ninja even you know 250 ninjas are classic at this point and you can ride out there and just have a great time. So I'd like to uh, just advocate for Arma for a second before we get into our segment where we're at the track. Um, also, Willow Springs, you can't go there ever. Never been there without seeing some sort of pop-up trouble because it's so very windy out there in that uh, valley. And so, of course, I took some pictures of mangled pop-ups and threw them on our Instagram and uh, it was just such a blast. And it was the 25th anniversary of the Moto Course of Alaska. So Arma was uh, commemorating the event. There was a cool bike show that Brady had put on. Um, and the racing was cool. The old class Kyo was actually in it. Uh, I'm sorry, not Kyo. Yoshi from Garage Company was in it. Um, and it's Le Mans start. So I think it was a CB160 class. And yeah, people are out there holding your bike. And you run across the track and jump on it. <clears throat> and take off just like they did back in the uh the 60s on these little machines so yeah it was really really cool to watch and fun and then there was a lot of more modern racing so we're gonna get into that and we will uh actually not be talking to any racers this time around we're gonna my friend uh was telling me you know it'd be fun to interview him with a couple of his buddies that they race against so i think we're gonna do that on a different episode um but tonight we've got a couple really great interviews that we picked up at the track and uh yeah i just wanted to say that um good times good times so i hope you enjoy and let's uh leave you with this close out the show with a few inter- couple interviews from uh willow springs international raceway at the arma a second round of the uh battle for big willow big willow i think that they called it and it was the 25th anniversary of the motocorsa classica right here on creative badger oh wait creative writing creative writing
everybody. We are here at the Moto Corsa Classica at Willow Springs Raceway, Willow Springs International Raceway, as a matter of fact. And we were blessed to be in the same space in the same motorcycle show here as uh, one of the vendors, a very important vendor to the Southern California uh, motorcycle community. So we're going to go ahead and let them take it away. Hi, I'm Jenna Steller of Steller Moto Brand. Um, hi, how you doing? I'm Junk from the Creative Writing Podcast, <laughs> and we're here in your little booth here. Um, I've heard your name everywhere. I've heard your name, you know, every time someone talks about uh, Moto Gear. What is? How did you start Steller? What is the uh, like the idea behind the company? Um, I well, it, it's a my whole life and my whole passion has always been around motorcycles. My dad was a a fabricator and a sidecar racer. So I grew up around the pits and watching him. Now my brother races, so that's hence why I always come out to Willow Springs and any kind of armor races my to, you know, cheer on my brother and the Cretans race team. So um, how Stellar started was it was always a, a, a brainchild of mine since I went to fashion design school to start a motorcycle brand, but it wasn't until I actually had an accident um, that I had the time <laughs> to like research and do what I needed to do to take my uh, actual designs that I had in my mind uh, to fruition. So I just looked for the fabric that would, uh, that would take me to the next level, and I found it, yeah. And... I've heard, you know, I've a lot of women in the. Well, there's not a lot of women podcasters, but I'm friends with all the ones that there are, uh-huh. and everyone seems to mention um, your clothes. They seem to. I don't know if they're necessarily geared toward women, but women seem to love them, and they seem to just fit. It's, I know a lot of race women that race that they're not. You can't find a good set of clothes that are built for women. So, are you? Is yours like a primarily a women's brand? Yeah, I always knew I was going to do men's too, and uh, you know, but I really needed to concentrate on women because we had nothing. So I went out full on with the women's line, and I integrated the men. So I do have men's line too, and um, because actually the men were getting a little jealous, yeah. and they were like, "I want a one piece." So I started with something that didn't exist, and which was I I felt didn't exist was a Dyneema one piece that had armor in it. So I concentrated on that, and they seemed to like it. It was something different, and like it's kind of like a, an adventure suit, but cool. <laughs> right. right. Toss that arrow stitch, grab a stellar. Yes. <laughs> and I have to say, the colors are popping. Like this, this whole. Um, I'll probably take some photos, but you know the colors here and the the fabrics. It's not your. You've got some sparkly. You've got different yeah. textures. I mean, you got a lot of stuff happening here. And then you got, like you said, I, I'm not sure what Dyneema is. Is that a sort of material? That is um, a new like space age uh, abrasion resistant uh, denim. So it's light, super lightweight wicking, and they it's a it's a leather alternative. Kevlar tends to absorb water, whereas this wicks it away, and it's 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 pretty much the strongest plastic in the world and they integrated it into denim and a stretch denim and it was the perfect opportunity for me to make a jumpsuit out of it yeah and it looks awesome all of the designs that you have here um you know you got long sleeve you got some jackets and stuff i mean this stuff is really cool um tell me let's back up a little bit tell me about your start what made you okay you got a fashion you know degree what made you 
want to pursue this like deeper than just like an idea you know what i'm saying like what why aren't you designing clothes for models and and everything else that a fashion designer a designer aspires to do well I, why when i um while I was in fashion design school, I went into show business. So I went straight into styling and commercials and uh, film. So I was always telling a story with clothes. And I, this is my story. So I really, this is my world. This is my passion. And also, I realized that people were not gearing up. And they didn't want to gear up because the stuff that was available to us, especially women, was, um, you know, it was like, okay, it's good to look like a racetrack when you're on the racetrack, but for everyday wear, there really wasn't anybody concentrating on just regular clothes, and nobody was really concentrating on summertime wear. So this kind of took care of both. Like, I could wear wear the stuff, feel, feel superhero-ish, especially my one piece, and also take it, I, I blended my favorite things, fashion, old school, retro vibe, mixed in with the top of the line, abrasion resistant and armor. I also use uh, level two armor. So I use the top of the line because nobody was really gearing up. And I felt like if I wanted it, then other people probably want it too. It didn't ex- really exist. So I was like, I'm gonna do this and hopefully people will lo- love it. That's my, that was my goal. And I can honestly say, before you know my very first exposure to you was my one of my friends at races gave me a stellar koozie and i'm thinking wow and then i started seeing you pop up all over um there was a couple women's moto markets that happened and i'd see stellar and everyone seems to love stellar particularly for the reason that you're saying is that when you're a woman and you're trying to find something that looks good and works forget about it you know and you can go out in your jeans or something but you're gonna if you eat it you're dead right so or you're you know, you tore your clothes and you're going to have marks. So that is really cool. Um, and and your, your backstory, I got to learn more about this too. So your your brother's out, is he out here somewhere? He's out here racing sidecars today. Yeah, so as soon as the, I hear the sidecars or I see the sidecars go by, I get somebody to watch the booth and I always like just cheer them on. Yeah. And have you seen, did you start with racing or did you start as like wear and then got into just like let's make something that works and is and is functional and looks cool uh, i i don't really per se do racing gear but my stuff is worthy of racing gear it's um it's level two armor it's uh, the, even the leather that i use is uh three to three 3.2 ounce i think late, late racing leathers are just a, a little bit b- above but I did check out my brother's racing leathers and I couldn't believe the armor that he had in there it was awful so it was just like it was just it was just a what do you call foam regular foam there was nothing in it and he didn't know that so I just yesterday I changed out all of his armor into the armor that we use which is Saztec level two and that's what it comes that you got level one and you got level two so I just changed that out for him and 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 you know, I so I, I try to use top of the line. I try to hide the fact that there's armor, so it's kind of hidden. And um, I just try to make it as comfortable as possible, so it makes people want to gear up. That's my that's my goal. You know what, too, these one piece things are kind of like in style. And I used to wear coveralls when I worked at a garage or when I was hunting. Right. And people don't realize the functionality. You know, you have pockets, you have. And they're they're nice to wear, but they look comfy. And I bet you twelve dollars if I climbed into one of these, I'd want to just fall asleep, right? Yeah, it's like a little baby onesie. <laughs> I mean, I was always wearing them, and I was wearing them on my bike, and 
I was like, well, I'm not being protected. And that, so I was just like, once you fall off, you know, and you get your, your, you know, your leg torn up, you're like, okay, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to concentrate on making stuff that I want to wear and hopefully other people will. So yeah, I'm just going to, I've got two more one pieces coming out, different styles. Yeah. And so when did all this start? Like, when did you start Stellar period? Well, I'm going almost four years in actually, like when I launched but I worked on it for well, my whole life, basically. I worked on it. But when, once I went down on the bike and I had time to think of it, it took about a year for me to get the fabric that I wanted because it hadn't been made yet. So I had to wait a year for it. But meanwhile, I was at all these shows, as much, many as shows as we can, and I just put my prototypes out there. And I just hustled, you know? Every single show, I would just go out there with my prototypes. And um, so I think it feels like five years kind of all said and done you know does it feel like 20 though like in your heart I know you know I know anybody that's got anything going on you put all your heart and soul into it does it feel like it's take a few years off there actually no I mean I came from show business where I worked 16 hours a day so the fact that yes I work I you know I I work 24 hours a day because I even dream stuff um, but oh, believe you me, I have a little notepad next to my bed because I'm like, I don't want to miss anything. But um, no, it doesn't. It, it feels like I, I found what I need to do, and I, I I have so much fun. And then when I see see people in my stuff, and not only see them in when they 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 write me, I went down and I pick my bike up and I'm good and I'm riding again. So it's not like what I went through. I went down and I had to go through the ambulance and. I mean, sure, it depends on what kind of accident you have. But if you're, like, landing on your knee and tearing it up, it's different than landing on your knee with the armor and the abrasion resistant and just picking up your bike. So it doesn't feel it, – it, it feels like I'm doing what I need to do, and the passion is kind of taking over. Nice. Yeah, and the old saying, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your yeah. life. Some people you ask, and they're like, no, that's bullshit. But <laughs> I love this. Yeah. I really like um, – like I like the colors that you use and what made you, you know, traditional racing or not racing, but traditional biking is black, you know, everything cool and black. And is that, uh, what draws your eyes to these colors and what, is this your palette, like your personal palette? Cause they all have a similar color. Yeah, it's definitely my palette. My palette, well, first of all, I did, I started with nothing black. There was not one thing. I integrated black into my repertoire here, but nothing, nothing was black when I first started. But um, I, I have Yamaha yellow. That was my dad represented Yamaha. So Yamaha yellow, which is like a mustard. That was uh, my goal. And then um, Ducati red. You know, I have different names for them, but Ducati, you know, when you see whenever. These are the colors that when I look at motorcycles, this is what I see. That's why I came up with a bronze. I like mixed metal. So I came up with a bronze, came up with a silver. Because when I look at bikes and when people build especially custom bikes, and I look at them, that's what I'm inspired by. And so, um, and then I'm also, this this look, which is uh, evil, my Evil Knievel meets Elvis meets Bowie. <laughs> so I am influenced by music as well, but Evil Knievel is definitely my, so I do my version of what, what, these, what inspires me, but definitely I felt like the motorcycle world needed color, and I think people have embraced it amazingly. So I'm, I'm continuing and adding more colors as we go along. I'll be integrating a couple more colors this fall. 
you it definitely has like you're right it definitely does look motorcycle inspired you don't have kawi green on here i noticed but no every- but but i am coming out with a jumpsuit that you could dye any color you want so i want to see what people come up with because i my my whole goal too with stellar moto brand is for people to customize it so um, people have taken my denim uh, uh, jumpsuits and they add chain stitching to the back. Somebody just um, got the jean jacket and did a whole huge, like Scorpio in the back of it. You know, so my whole goal is to get people to do what the old school people did and add patches like this. I was you're, you're you're from uh, shoulder to knee is like she's got patches all over every little thing on here. So and it's white. Her her jumpsuit's white, so it's a like a blank canvas, like yeah. a, literally. So that's my goal. I want people to enjoy and have fun and and express themselves as opposed to just wearing black. Although that is an expression in itself, but if you are going to do black, why not add add your pins to it or add a patch or add your add your flair. So I want I want people to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what um before when I, when I think of color in the motorcycle world, when you're looking through almost any gear, uh, aside from racing leathers, which you can almost get in any color that you want, you see a lot of blacks, grays. Now the big thing is, ooh, we're whites, or and you know the pink, whole pink and purple thing. That was about it for women. And so I think the reason men are getting jealous is because even men, when you see nothing but black, white, gray, maybe an arrow stitch that's like kind of tan. This is this is pretty cool, and this does look like you're looking at a garage at a garage or a showroom. Um, you can kind of see the motorcycle in it. So uh, this is this is awesome, and I love. How long does it take you to think of something, and then figure out how you're going to stitch it? Because your evil Knievel stuff here it looks pretty intricate, and I don't know how long it takes to like figure all that out. How you're going to make a design? Yeah, I um, sketch something and try to get the proportions in a sketch first, and then I mo- I do a mock up. So I, then I make the pattern, then I do a mock up, which is like at of muslin which is just uh, a fa- I try to get if I do a leather jacket I try to get like a heavy heavy canvas so I, t- I check it out on that first then I see proportions and then sometimes it doesn't work sometimes you know I've, g- I've gone through like three different versions of something and the reason why I ended up doing the white in here is because even though I did a black version of this jacket that's black and white I did a black version it doesn't have the same vibe this has like more of a 70s 80 vibe with this and I did it in black, and, and it's it sold, you know, it's sold, but uh, there's, it looked better in these yeah. two colors. So I do try and experiment, and then when something works, then I'll, then I'll take it into production, you know? How many pieces are on your cutting, cutting room floor that you wish had made it, that you just, someday, maybe if they come out with the, the fabric or the technology, you're going to make this crazy suit that you've had a in your noggin and, and you just had to like scrap it for the time being oh everything I had to scrap because I had to find this fabric first so everything that I had were, were like these are ideas that I made this jacket like while I was in fashion design school the fact that it's stood the test of time because it's just kind of classic I guess um, is, is amazing to me so I just um, there's a lot of things that, are, that were scrapped but then I find the fabric later that that's my vision of it um, like a waxed version of something so it has that vibe that I'm looking for for the next thing so actually I waited since the very beginning like four years ago when I started I have all these sketches and now they're finally happening so I have two more that were scrapped until I found the right fabric so you know it reminds me of I can't remember the guy's name who shot um, Avatar the movie Avatar James Cameron, James Cameron. yeah 
and and him and even Steven Spielberg, they they were had you know when they were filming, they had to wait. Their technology didn't exist for them to do what they wanted to do. So that you remind me of the you know the front edge here of, of uh, or the cutting edge. You're, you're a little bit ahead of what's even possible now. Do you have a favorite piece? You know, I was just talking to this uh, with my friend, and I said, you know, it's frustrating because now I have everything that I want. <laughs> so I have everything I can use, and nothing gets broken in because I come up with something new, and then I wear that. Um, I get a little frustrated because I, lo- I kind of love them all. And I'm not just saying that. I'm like, these are like visions of, like, since I was a little kid, what racing is to me. So they're all my babies. They're, like, really, seriously, they're all my babies. And um, I might get sick of something for a little while because something new, you know, how you, you like the new toy. But really, I go back and I always go back. And then I'm like, ooh, do I wear that one? Do I, you know, I mean, that's not a problem to have. But it is, um, yeah, I, I don't. I thought I would, but I don't have a favorite. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've looking at, I, I, I think, you know, my wife would probably dig these. I have two, two crazy questions first question as a fashion designer or someone that can like make your own clothes when you're done with the day are you just in like a t-shirt and sweats oh yeah i mean the whole point of a jumpsuit is because um i i i I was always wearing jumpsuits on the bike off the bike because if i was in the costume house hunting for a let's say a 1950s movie and i was pulling clothes pulling 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 I didn't want to concentrate on what I look like. I'm like coming up with 50 looks per day on in the, like a fitting, fitting, you know, even background. I would do like a hundred people in one day. I don't want to think about what I want, what I'm going to wear. So these jumpsuits are perfect. It's like, you're done. They're cute. They're comfortable. You put it on and you, you beat it and you look cute. I, it is. It's, and, and if you look at most fashion designers, they have a uniform. Whether it was Carl Lagerfeld, he wore the white shirt, the high collar, and black pants. You know the hair. Then um, uh, most of them just wear black because it just becomes your uniform. You just want to kind of blend in, and you want other people to stand out. Yeah. Out of all the colors here, what's your? What would you say is your color? You're in white right now. Is that your? Is that no. mostly what you wear? Mustard was always my favorite because it reminds me of my dad. The, the I call it the Yamaha yellow. I call it, I, I I named it Desert Gold. Um, only because it it was underrepresented when I first came came out, and people took to it like you would not believe. I was really surprised because I was like, oh, it doesn't really look good on everybody, but it does, man. I, but also, I dye dye my own stuff, so I find the color the perfect desert gold for me. Whatever that perfect was, that that looks good on skin tones. So I try to look at a lot of skin tones, and I try to see what looks good on them, you know? Because, you know, color's hard. So I try to uh, go for colors that look good on everybody. Um, I, I'm really particular to the bronze. So when I see somebody wearing my bronze jacket, it's kind of, you know what it is? It's like uh, people wear, who wear brown all the time. It's like... Uh, brown on acid (laughs) you know you wear it and you show up it's kind of electrifying and you know there's nothing better than seeing mixed metal go by on a motorcycle it's just to me i don't know i'm I'm partial to this one too and i think i've seen that brown finish like the ermaki chimera kind of has it there was yeah there was a triumph earlier that was almost that same color bronze and then you got this silver which everything out here's got a little bit of silver so this is that is really cool i like that i love the designs too like just the way they're cut and these little pleats and everything it just these little details um from 
would you say like from I don't know if this is like an insider secret from idea to actual finished project how long does it take you to do one of these things it, it, that really depends because I you know ha, having to rely on other people to get some stuff done as much as I would I, I can fix things with leather I don't make these leather ones from scratch I can make the other stuff but leather leather you need a whole other machine and you need a skiving to like make it thinner um, in the seams so they could actually sew so when they're together and under they're not super thick um, but I think um, if I'm on it and I can get the sample made to, to production, that's a hard one. Sometimes it's a month. My jeans during COVID have taken six months. So, you know, and then, it, yeah, so I would say, and then you have to wait for the fabric to show up. It, it's just, it just depends. But I would say at least a couple months. That's like an average from like my idea to get it out. Because I get everything made in LA. So I get it done, I do what I can. Then I, I I go to my people in LA, so I oversee everything. Are you in LA too? I am. Oh, I'm from LA. Yeah, that's my hometown. Second crazy question: You find yourself in a hotel room after a disaster or a night of partying or whatever. You have nothing on you but your sewing kit. What do you use in the room? Like, what would you do? Would you be able to make yourself an outfit out of any? You know, you wake up in a hotel room. You got some curtains and a bed sheet. I am totally, totally. Uh, what is that that movie um, um, the sound of music I had when I was a kid and that's why my mom like uh, one day she just put the uh, fashion design school like uh, advertisement on my bed once because I used to um, like I had something going on and I was like ooh, I want something new so I would take my bedspread and I would make a dress out of it and then I had sheets once with little flowers on it and I was like ooh, this would be a cute suit and I made a suit out of it so that was me before I went to fashion design school. So I think maybe I was meant to do this. <laughs> no problem waking up with just your sewing kit. You're coming out in like a full-on tux. I totally make something out of bed sheets. I've done it before. So, yeah. It does not scare me, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Most people would be like, uh, I don't know. I wrap a towel around me and run. Um, so let's back up to, I want to talk about your crash, if that's okay. Like what got you into this whole thing? Because you're, and, and uh I'm, I'm assuming this is your full-time job now too, and that you're you're doing this labor of love is your work. Yeah, it is. This is full-time now. Yeah. At first, I was uh, still styling, like I took styling gigs. I couldn't take any more, uh, like film or um, or anything that was too long, like film or TV show anymore. But I could do like little um, styling every now and then. Like I work with bands, rock bands, and stuff like that every now and then. Yeah. So. I'm glad to hear that this is your full-time gig now because that's a big step for anybody, a designer or small business. Um, so, yeah, let's step back to the impetus for all this, which was your crash. How long ago did that happen, and and how long have you been writing? God, I've been writing on and off for a long time, so it's really hard for me to, like, even... Because I stopped and started so many times. Um, but my accident happened, I guess, five and a half years ago right before I started Stellar so like I said I was recuperating while I was getting this all together I had the time finally I mean really seriously I was working you know 16 hour days in show business so this was always a dream and you know it was funny because I'm still friends with a couple people who said "Um, I remember when you were talking about this and you finally did it so I was like oh I was I was so it's kind of nice to know that um I finally, I finally did it. Like, hold on to your dreams because it, 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 it's going to happen when it's going to happen, you know? 
16 hours gives you 16 hours of work. Yeah. In LA, that's two hours to commute <laughs> there and back and four hours to sleep and eat. So that's not a lot of time. I had to always choose, did I want to take did I want to take a shower or did I want to sleep? Yeah. And I, sorry, I always chose sleep. <laughs> you know what? It's a, it's a fact of life it in LA. Is. It is. So, so you were recuperating yeah. and, and yeah, so you had time on your side. You, uh, an unfortunate event turned into something cool. Yeah. Um, what was the circumstances? How did you, how'd you go down? It was a, it was a small crash, but I had a choice to go get, crash into the car ahead of me go around them and and hit all the cars that are coming off the off-ramp. So I chose to just, I shouldn't have slammed on my brakes, but I slammed on my brakes and turned at the same time. So I did a little skid out and landed. For some weird reason, I thought maybe I could jump off, which I should, hey, note to everybody, just go with the slide, okay? So I thought for some weird reason I could jump off so everything landed on my knee and I went straight, on, kind of slap on my half stomach on my right side, um, hip bone, my knee took all of the brunt, and I slid, because I, and I was um, wearing a leather jacket, but I was not uh, wearing any uh, protective gear on my leg, and my whole knee got torn up. Has that affected, is it, you know, you feel, no. you feel tornadoes coming? No, no, but then, like, because of that, afterwards, I think I was always favoring that knee, that as soon as I started getting out and having fun, uh, we're going roller skating again. Um, I tore my ACL on the other side. <laughs> so I had even more time to like concentrate on Stellar. So um, yeah, I just it was a small accident, but it should have been smaller. If I had even had abrasion resistant fabric or even abrasion resistant and armor, I would have I would have been able to pick up my bike and been like fine. Yeah. Crazy thing is, this might have never happened, right? It would have, but it would have been a lot longer. It would have like been years and years. And but yeah, I, I always believe that things happen when they happen. And I've been, I, I was, I was aching to get out of show business. I really was. So it was. So when it happened, I wasn't like, oh my god. I was like, oh okay, this is an injury. I could get through this. And let me let me do this now. Now because I also said to myself, now I really have no excuses. That was my excuse. Time. Money also makes a big deal too. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a little. Just a little. So I really did know that I was saving up. So the the three years before I kind of already was saving up. And kind of to put a hat on the adventure here and, and your whole your whole you know progression and everything. How how are you doing? Where are you selling? Have you found that um, is it shows like this that you go to where you meet your your bread and butter clientele, or is it word of mouth? Because I mean, like trust me, Stellar is one of the brands that every lady I know rides, and so everybody around them hears it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you're a big name, and and with the people at least here in SoCal, you're it's huge. Stellar Motor Brand is is it and so i don't know are you are you marketing do you is this sort of stuff just what you do or and and, and how are you doing as a business yeah um the fact that you even said that makes me so happy because <laughs> i really have no idea i really still am a one-woman show so to hear that really makes me feel good um i i need to take it up a notch and actually hire somebody i, I do piecemeal stuff you know so you know i just I have my friends, man. I thank God for my friends. I'm like, can you help me with this website? Can you help me with my pattern? Can you help me with... So my friends help me. And um, if my friend's helping me right now, right here, right now. She's going to help me with media. She actually is the one that shot my um, that video of uh, Jesse Hughes flying out of a cannon. She shot my video. Woo, it's loud. 
I know. Let's take a. It's like when you're doing an interview and a plane flies over or something. Only this is way cooler. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, it's it's. It's, it's getting its wings for sure, and I couldn't be more grateful that people are gearing up. A lot of new riders come to me straight away, and they and I give them a choice with armor. They're like, no, give me the best. So I, that's that, that was my goal, is to gear up the people who didn't gear up, because they, did, they didn't like the fashion that was out there, and to get the people who geared up too much to actually have a little fashion. So I think I've, I've met the, them both in the middle, and it's really, really makes me very happy to see that people are willing to gear up now that didn't before. So that was my goal. That was my goal. Yeah. You know. Are there other smaller? I, I've heard of Atwild too, and I'm not sure um, if they're like a smaller brand also. Yeah. But do you have other people that you kind of like shop with, or like not shop with, but or, or anybody that you get inspiration from, or is this just since you worked in the movie business, you got enough up in your noggin? It sounds like. Yeah, I. I mean, the only thing that influences me is um, the past, you know, and um, I get inspired by a little bit of everything, but I, I, I'm very influenced by music. So I've always been a music icon. I love Deborah Harry. I love Chrissy Hine. I love, you know, so the, the women in music have always been played a part. I love Iggy Pop, obviously. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, I, I see, Kiss, yeah, I, I see a lot so. of, uh, I see a lot of denim and, and colorful, you know, colorful yeah. jackets. That definitely screams music. And, yeah. and even one pieces, you know, like the Gary Newman and everybody yeah, in, in one pieces. Devo. Yeah, I mean, music has always been my thing. So, and plus I used to style rock bands. I used to style bands. Uh, I shouldn't just say rock bands because it's been a little bit of everything. But yeah, music, music is always influenced. Music and motorcycles, That's that was my life. And and then the, fas the fashion, in the background, I was just like, "This is this is my my jam. This is where I need to be." That's yeah. awesome. That's a great story, and it's and it's great to see you in your environment. Then, I mean, you're at a stinking motorcycle race, and this is this is this, now this is my jam. So yes, I do do IMS, and I'll do um, motorcycle shows, and I love going to the one moto show. I love to do the local, um, uh, what do you call it, the custom bike shows. Those are always my favorite. This is really my jam. The racetrack. Um, get to see all my friends race, have vintage bikes at the same time as I'm racing and I'm working. This is like heaven for me. Yeah. And you get to see your brother out there. And, and, and you take care of him by swapping his armor he doesn't even know. Exactly. He didn't even know he was you wearing useless armor. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's so cool. Thank you for hanging out. Um, yeah, yeah. This is great. This is cool. Uh, let us know where we can find. Give us a website and like Instagram or any of your yeah. social media stuff. Where can where can anybody find you if they want to check out some of this clothing um, and order or order from you? Yeah. Well, I'm uh, www.stellarmotobrand. It's always moto, uh, not motor, but moto brand. Um, and then on Instagram, it's Stellar Moto Brand. And uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. I like to do fun things on there. Awesome. Yeah, and, and I love the photo shoots. I, you know, if you're in LA and you know anybody that rides in LA, you've probably seen them, one of your friends in a stellar shoot, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly, I use all my friends, I utilize my friends. I appreciate them very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, it's always good to have friends that ride and look good in your yeah. clothing. So yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out Thank and uh, enjoy the races. Thank you, I will, nice to meet you. So check out uh, Jenna's line of clothing. It's pretty amazing. And uh, I'll try to leave a, a note in the show links um, or a link in the show notes, I guess I should say. Uh, 
Also in the background there, you could hear some vehicles going by. One of those vehicles was a huge bagger. Uh, and like I said, I, I really should talk about bagger racing this week, but I'm not going to. But it was uh, Tony Salima and Eric Stahl, the two guys from... Um, Eric's from Jiffy Tune and Tony is from Motor Shred Co. And they were the first guys we interviewed way back. I think it was episode 92 or something like that. The Harley guys that have been coming out here and racing for the past couple of years with Brady's organization and have thusly started the Bagger Racing League or the, or the impetus for the Bagger Racing League. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if I didn't edit it out already, Harley Davidson got out of flat track racing, got out of drag racing, has gone full on into bagger racing. And uh, what you heard in the background, part of that was, I think it was uh, Eric going by. This was, let me see. So at Road Atlanta happened. So this was two weekends ago and then Road Atlanta happened last weekend. So this was his, his race before his kind of like, He's testing too, and I'm sure he was out there all three weekends, uh, the 10th, the 17th, and then the 25th, um, getting that bagger ready for Road Atlanta because he it was a it was a big race. Uh, if you go check out the YouTube highlights, you can see Eric slinging his big old white. I think he's on the one they call the mullet, uh, slinging that around um, Road Atlanta. Pretty cool. So, uh, and and on top of this, half of the racers that I talked to in the pits. Half of my friends were like, yeah, bagger racing, come on. Like, it's funny to see these big old bikes out there doing this stuff. The other half was like, hell yeah, bring it on. Like, it's amazing to see these big old bikes out there, and I can't believe what they're doing. But the question on everybody's mind, whether they thought it was cool or fool, was, I wonder what's in the bags. And then, you know, my friends, Pat and Carrie, were like, you know, it'd be so cool if they made them race around with, like, six-packs in the bag. So, you know, like, and I said, you know, or just, like, um, it wouldn't even have to be six packs of crappy beer. It could be six packs of water wetter, uh, as, so that it so that it wouldn't put, make the track all slippery if they did go down. But just something to prove that it's a six pack of liquid. So I'm down with that. But either way, it was really fun to see everybody's reaction regarding uh, the baggers out there practicing, and it was really cool to see the bagger racing league. Um, Round it on uh, YouTube of the day. So check it out if you get a chance. All right, let's back it in and go to our next interview. And I got to say, after this interview, I've been vaccinated for the for Corona, for COVID, and uh, both vaccinations. And boy, I was sweating it for a little bit because our next guest is really super nice, sweet guy. But I do have to say, I didn't have a mask on while we were interviewing and I got some spittle all over my face. I forget what what words uh, we were saying, but yeah, there was some foreigners, foreign spit objects uh, coming onto my face from from across the microphone. Didn't have a big enough, uh, you know, muff on it. So a little freaked out there for a little bit because that's a, you're supposed to wear a mask to avoid getting spit splotches and and mist on your face but hey i live to live to tell another tale interview another day so here we go let's get into this last interview and then we'll take it home <laughs> all right we're cruising around we're, we're in the classic bike show which i turned around to get a taco and i come back and guess what half of everything's gone so apparently these things start and run but right next to us here under the shade um, there's a club that's local to me, and I, I have read their website. I know they do a lot of great, fun stuff, so I'm just going to quit blabbing and uh, 
we'll let them introduce themselves. So can you tell me your name and what club you're with? Sure. Uh, my name's Ginger John Mark. Uh, we're at Pasadena Motorcycle Club, established 1907. We're here in Pasadena. Been around since about 1907. Our clubhouse has been there since 1947. And uh, yeah, we're here just to support the riding community and racing and a lot of our riders ride the track and thought it'd be a great thing to come out and check out. Nice. So Pasadena, like 1907, that seems like a long time ago. Um, 13 years, 113 years actually. Yeah. Is it, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the oldest motorcycle clubs in, if not California, like this, the 48 states. Yeah, it's actually the third oldest club still in existence. Uh, it was Yonkers in 1903 and then San Francisco in 1905 and then us in 1907. Yeah. Is anybody, is any of the original members still riding for you? Uh, they've actually sadly all passed away. Uh, but, you know, we have a lot of heritage in the club and a lot of, we actually met a couple riders here that are in their, well in their 70s who rode our 1950 and 1960 Greenhorn ride, which was pretty amazing to, to meet them and hear their stories and how crazy those rides were back then. And just to see that heritage was amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, and just like any motorcycle brand, a club with that much heritage, too, um, the the stories, the membership, and the, the sort of traditions that you start, I'm sure going all, all the way back to 1907, you guys have a, a quite a few crazy events. What is, uh, like, what, can you give me an example of some of the rides that you do and some of, like, the Green Horde ride, if they were road, riding it way back then before there were freeways, I'm sure it was nuts. What sort of stuff are you still carrying on? Like, what sort of traditions do you have that you still are rocking today? Great question. Uh, so, we have two big rides that we're known for. Our most popular, as you mentioned, is the Green Horde, which is our, this year it's our 75th anniversary of that ride. And originally that ride was an off-road ride that was timed and left our clubhouse and then was a race to Greenhorn Mountain. See if you can go find that. It's a little difficult to find, but it's over 400 or 500 miles of off-road riding with, you know, at the time, modern technology bicycle, motorcycles, which, you know, were pretty much vintage bikes now with zero suspension, hardly any braking. Uh, so back then it was always that. And then in the 70s, as the regulations of off-road riders riding on streets became more regulated, we had to go to an all-street ride. So for the last 30, 40 years, it's been an, uh, the Greenhorn's been a long, you know, 200-plus-mile, two-day overnight ride to some secret location with some secret ride that we as a club always pre-ride multiple times to have, make it the, the best experience. We personally hate riding on freeways. And so this year, as an homage to our 70th fifth anniversary we're actually having a timed ride like the classic original time contest and we'll be having a winner which is the first in like 30 years and we're having a section of off-road for those who, an optional off-road section of about 30 miles for the adventure bike riders and uh it's gonna be a good time nice that sounds that's pretty sick like that's a that's rad to carry on the tradition but also who doesn't love riding off-road and doing fun fun rides uh, and you're right not a whole lot of people love to slab it where we are in, you know, I'm pretty close to Pasadena. The crest is right above us, so there's so much beautiful um, roads to ride up there. What type of, like, you're not a, you're not like a one percenter club, so I don't think you have rules about what type of bikes can join. But what, what type of bikes are in the club, and, and what do you have like a majority style of rider? I mean, you know, it's always been different. Like originally, it was all like whatever at the time road bikes that were took off road. Nowadays, it's more of a mix of all kinds of bikes. Like most of our guys have multiple bikes. I've got an off road bike. I've got a Harley. Some of us ride black Harley. Some of us ride GS two fifth twelve hundreds adventure bikes and nerd bikes, and so. 
and to and all between, a lot of our guys have like dirt bikes too. So we'll, it's like we actually get dirt points and road points, and we're talking about you know race points at some point. But right now, it's kind of a all across the board. We're we're a family club. We're all about riding and riding long distances. We do an annual uh, Iron Butt Challenge, which is a thousand miles in under 24 hours. I'm not stupid enough to do that, but some of our guys are, and you know that's one fun thing. We have another poker run we do every year. That's a, a local one day ride. That's last year we actually because of COVID we did a tour of Pasadena and had a it was like a 40 square mile ride that took about three hours to do and then we had a little party at our clubhouse had some taco trucks but every year we always mix up the rides someone's a different co-chair and then you know those are our two main events um, but we just like riding and so you know for us a short ride is 200 miles right. yeah yeah I know I've seen some of the rides that you do some overnighters like you mentioned uh, down into the desert lots of beautiful stuff around here to hit Greenhorn ride, you know, Greenhorn is for whatever, like, cowboy turns for a new guy. So I always thought the Greenhorn ride was new, like an initiative initiative for or initiating ride to get new members patched in or whatever it was. I had no idea there was an actual Greenhorn Mountain, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and where are you guys located in Pasadena? Because, I, like I said, I used to live there. There's so many old buildings that like you can't hardly tell what's what. Are you, and you've been in the same one since 47. Yeah, so, great question. You know, we actually have a clubhouse that is actually an old Quonset hut. Quonset hut was an actual brand of, like, traditional, like, World War II, like, storage hut, whatever. And it's a historical monument now we're actually being inducted into the museum of uh hall of fame there or whatever historical society of pasadena but we're at uh, 21 east howard street which is just the cross street of fair oaks and howard it's kind of tucked in there in a small little road across from a church and next to a couple apartment buildings but you you drive right by it if you didn't know it was there but it's been there since 1947 there's a little driveway when you come visit drive up the driveway and it's kind of our little test to see if you can hit the bumps right and not bottom out um but we're what welcoming we meet every monday 8 p.m unless it's a holiday and all riders are welcome all motorcycle enthusiasts are welcome and uh we're a family club so we like riding we like bikes we like machines we actually have to pay a fine every time we pay, buy a new bike so which is part of our good of the club it's pretty fun rad roughly would you say how many how, just about how many members do you think are in the in the club so right now we've got about 60 total members of which about 25 are life members and then about 30 to 35 active monthly you know members that are participating in our meetings and rides and you know a lot of folks have families so they can't always come but you know we're relaxed and like you know tight little knit group and being part of a, a club in L.A., we got, like, the Norton's Owner Club, you know. There, there's, like, a billion clubs in L.A. Um, do you guys share heritage, or, or is there any other, like, crossover? You know what I'm saying? Like, the Norton's Owner Club, I don't, they've been around for a little bit, and I'm not, I'm not sure how long. Nowhere near uh, 1907, but do you guys do crossover events with other clubs or anything I mean, like that? Great question. Yeah, so we actually do their, usually their New Year's Rose ride up to the crest or Newcombs or whatever. We, we participate in that. You know, we try to be in the community because we're we are Pasadena. We actually, our patch, if you look at the history of it, it's a crown and key, which is actually the symbol of the city. And it's on all, like, the utility vehicles. It's, like, the, the town crest. It's pretty, like, cl- like tied into the city. So we try to be friendly with all, all clubs around. And, you know, we, we try to support the, like, the leaders or other, like, 
community of riders we work with a lot and hang out with. We were friendly with the VVMC guys. There's a lot of like good friendly crossovers. We actually ride a lot of dirt with the VVMC guys. Dana over there's great, and he's been showing us a lot of the ropes. But yeah, you know, we're friendly with all of them. Yeah, and I think that's where Brady actually started, got his start with the VVMC. Yeah. So yeah, that's rad. And um, you know. You're, it's a friendly club. Anybody, anybody can join any any type type of bike. Yeah, it's open to all all riders, male, female, any kind of bike. We're not like American only. It's we actually nerd out about bikes. So the, the more rare and weird it is, the more we love it. You know. So, do you guys have any women in the uh, club right now? Yeah, we have at least three, if not more. Uh, our secretary and then Van was who he was here. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you know what? The funny thing is I interviewed Van at IMS, uh, the jeans, because of the jeans a couple of years ago. So, yeah, when I saw her and I saw the patch, I said, hey, I'm going to come visit you in a little bit. So that's rad. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And then, um, like you said, if can you give us the information one more time, yeah. what days you meet, and if anybody wants to join or, like, look up the history, where can they find you, social media, website, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, so we're on Instagram, Pasadena underscore MC. Uh, we meet, we have our own website, at least Google is Pasadena MC. Um, and we meet every Mondays at 8 p.m. We have our meeting, it's a traditional meeting with Robert's Rules of Order, so, you know, it's orderly, and then after that we hang out uh, for an hour, go eat some food or get into some hooligans, whatever. Um, but, yeah, every Monday, unless it's a federal holiday, come on by, reach out to our website, reach out to us. You can reach me personally at johnmarkatpassingmc.com. Come on out. We'd love to have you guys. Sick. Thank you so much. And maybe I'll cruise over there one day. Is there a minimum age? Because i got a couple kids I want to get into riding. I mean, if you're – I think it's 18. Yeah, 18 is the minimum age. But as long as you – you have a motorcycle M1 license and you have a motorcycle. Sadly, we don't do trikes. Sorry, but we, we are friendly with trikes. If you want to bring them, just don't park them on our road. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyone's welcome. It's, it's licensed and, you know, has a bike. All right. And ask for Ginger. He's the nicest guy in the world. Right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out, and we'll uh, chat with you later. Hopefully he's dang. I mean, it's cool that we're at a race, but, man, could, <laughs> is it? it's like interviewing somebody at the airport around here. So thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. Right. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's our show for this week. We are at the two-hour mark. Perfect time for you to get out of here and enjoy your weekend. Tune in to the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge on Facebook if you want to check out, see how our team's doing. If not, we'll come back next week with the report. And uh, in the meantime, if you got any news or events that you want us to blab about or anything you think we should know about, hit us up, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, and check us out, Facegram and Instabook, uh, Creative Writing Podcast. And... One last thing, get your submissions in for the Solstice Slam, June 20th, 2021 at slam at creative-writing.com. All right, peace out, Grease Monkey.